start today just honoring military. So I'm gonna invite you, if you have ever served or you are currently serving in the military, I'm gonna invite you to stand up so we can say thank you. Has anyone served? Thank you. All right, we have one. I have family and I have friends who have been in the Navy. They've been in the Army, they've been in Marines, they've been in the Reserves, and I have two very dear friends that are chaplains. And just being on the sidelines for that, I've watched deployment. I've watched what it means for families to have someone in service, and it's a sacrifice. And so we're very thankful for that. No matter how you feel, um, we are grateful that people are willing to serve. And because I have all these cousins with all this military stuff, I know what it's like to watch a Navy Army football game. <laughs> it can be very intense. I've got cousins that get really excited about the Navy Army games. I've been with them before, and all of a sudden, halfway through the game, my Navy cousin will burst out into this chant every now and then. He's like, dun, 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 dun. He has this chant that he learned when he was in the Navy, and he reverts back to it during the games. That's what happens when you join a group of people, isn't it? You are a part of something, and so they teach you a chant. They teach you a cheer. There's something about it that makes you feel like we're all in this together. There's a sense of camaraderie about it. I know for me, whenever I watch my favorite football team play, it's like I revert back to all the cheers I learned in the student section. I know the exact cheer for a first down. I know the exact cheer for an interception. And I know the exact cheer for a touchdown. And while I'm doing it from the comfort of my living room, I can see the student section doing it with me at the same exact time. I don't even know them. I know that whenever I pass a car that has a certain bumper sticker on it, whenever I go by it, I'm going to say, boiler up. There's a hands motion. We're together. We're a part of a team. There's another one. There's another sticker. Whenever I see a, this one particular little sticker on a car, whenever my family comes up to it on a red light, we always try to meet it. All four of us in the car, we go like this. It's a horned frog for TCU in case you didn't know. Yeah, there are cheers that we have. There are hand motions that we have to show you that we have a shared experience. We have a cheer together, a chant together, something that unifies us to say we're all in it together. Do we have any Braves fans? Yeah. We all know it. What do we do? What do Braves fans do in, during the game? There you go. Yeah, we're all going to chop. We all know to do that. Like, there's something about it. There's camaraderie. People of faith, we're all in it together. We all are on the same spirit of a team. We need to have some sense of unity about us. Do you think that we have a cheer, Chapel Roswell? Don't worry, I'm not going to make you cheer. I know you probably thought I was. If we were to have a cheer for Chapel Roswell University, what book of the Bible might we look to find one? Any ideas? If, oh, I heard it. Yeah, very good. If I were to pick a cheer for our Chapel Roswell University team, I would look in the book of Psalms because it's got different songs there. 
In particular, there's one psalm that I think would be a very good cheer or chant to rally around, and it comes from Psalm 78, and this is what it says. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a decree in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and rise up and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The psalmist here is taking a break from what psalmists typically do. Typically, a psalmist is going to give us a little bit of history. It's going to describe a historical event or an event in a chronological set time. It's going to tell us how people are feeling about that issue or event happening. Typically, a psalmist is going to tell us about some war or a time of not war, of peace. And a psalmist is going to describe the joy about it or the horrible things about it. But in this psalm, the psalmist is taking a moment to do something else. The psalmist is using words to bring people together, to have a sense of we're all in this together, to build a sense of camaraderie, a sense of spirit about it. And the psalmist is actually saying we need to take the time to tell of our faith. We have an oral tradition at this point of faith. And if you don't share it orally, if you don't tell the story, then no one will know it. So the psalmist is saying, think back about what we've been through all the way through Jacob. And let's tell our children. So our children will tell the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. The psalmist is saying, we're all a part of this together, and so the people need to know what we have been through. They need to know our experience, our past, so that will propel us to do so much more. And that storytelling, the sharing of what we've been through, that's what connects us from class to class, from group to group. It connects us from congregation to congregation, from generation to generation. A few years ago, I was a part of a totally different church, totally different state, more than a few years ago. It was a little bit ago. I was in a totally different state, totally different church. And I was in their traditional worship, and I saw in their traditional bulletin an announcement about the hanging of the greens service. That service happens about this time of year, maybe a little into November. And that's one of my favorite services. And so I said to my family, I'm going to go to the hanging of the greens service. 
it's going to be wonderful, so I have to be there. And it was at 2 o'clock. And so after we left our worship service, we went and had lunch, and I kept on my nice church clothes because I was going to the next service. Because at 2 o'clock, I wanted to walk into the sanctuary and do what we always did back at my home church, which was the hanging of the green service, where we hung the last ceremonious wreath, right? You hang the last wreath and you sing a song. It's really quite wonderful. Well, I walk into the church, 2 o'clock, in my nice church clothes for the hanging of the green service. And at this particular church, that's not what they did. In fact, it was a working service. There was no one was sitting down. Everybody was busy working. I very quickly had to go back to my car and find some tennis shoes and come back to be appropriate. And so we spent the afternoon literally getting all the Christmas decorations out of storage for the church. We dusted off the chrismons. We were fluffing up all the ribbon and the garland and the actual wreaths. It was our job to literally hang the greens and decorate the space. And somehow, my job that I had been assigned was wreath thrower. It's an exciting title, I know. You see, there were all of us there, people of all generations and ages. We were all given jobs, but they thought, for me, I needed to stand at the base of this ladder. There was a huge ladder, and another man had been picked to climb up the ladder, and his job was to hang the wreaths way up top on the beautiful windows. But he couldn't get the wreath by himself, so my job was to go like this. So I would throw him the wreaths, and he would catch them. And then when he hung the wreath, I'd throw him the bow. There you go. We kind of got into a little rhythm. And by about our third, maybe our fourth window that we had this great rhythm to, this little eight-year-old girl came over. And this little eight-year-old, she stood at the base of the ladder, and she looked up and put her hand on her hip. She goes, y'all are doing that all wrong. We're like, what do you mean we're doing it wrong? She's like, no, that's not right. And she said, you know, the bow is not supposed to be on the top of the wreath. And we looked at her and we're like, what are you saying? It looks perfect. It is so beautiful. She's like, nope. Miss Martha said, the Baptist put the bows on top, so we put the bows on the bottom. And the man on the ladder looked down and said, well, it's going to be okay. I don't think Miss Martha's going to mind. Miss Martha died this summer. It's okay. And that little girl, she shook her finger. She goes, Miss Martha's going to haunt you. And she walked right off. It's funny, we teach our kids traditions without even knowing it. Our kids pay attention, they watch us, and that becomes what they do. And so I wonder, with our faith, what are we really teaching our children? What are we teaching this generation? What are we teaching our friends and our family with our witness, our gifts, our service, and our presence? What are they noticing in us? What are they repeating Do people in our lives, do they see us taking time to actually sit down with devotion? On our calendars, do we actually schedule, so with an alert that says, this is your prayer time? Do people at work ever see us or hear us maybe reference scripture or reference a relationship with our church or with God? 
Last Sunday, we had these beautiful confirmands with these wonderful stoles. And on the stoles that they made, every confirmand wrote the name of someone who had meant something and poured into their lives. In 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, whose names are going to be on those stoles? Well, ours? Will our name be on the stole of anyone else's faith? What mark are we leaving on this church? What are we letting people know how we live out our faith right now, this generation? There's a great story about this man, and he was successful. He built kind of an empire around him. He worked and worked and worked and worked so hard that he had this huge fortune. And one day in his older years, he told his wife, he said, look, I love our life. I love what I have built for us. But when I die, I want you to bury me with my money. And she goes, wait, are you serious? What are you talking about? She's like, no, I want all of it, he said. He's like, I'm sorry. I love you. Again, I love the life we've made. But when I die... I want you to put all of it with me in the ground. I'm taking it. And she was like, I I don't know about that. He's like, you have to promise me, will you bury me with my money? So the woman obviously saw how important this was, and she's like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. It's a sacrifice, but I'm going to do it. A few months later, he indeed died. Well, she was really nervous. She was really distraught because she had a lot of decisions ahead of her, a lot of them. And her friends kept telling her, do not listen to him. Don't do it. Do not do it. But she kept saying, I made a promise. I made a promise to him. I can't go against it. So there at the funeral, there they are. And right before they close the lid of the casket, she says, wait one minute. And she pulls out this huge box. She walks over and she says goodbye to her husband and she puts the box in a casket and they close it. After the funeral, her friends come over to her and say, please tell me, please tell me you didn't really do it. And she said, yes, I did. I'm a Christian. I made a promise. I did it. She said, I took every single penny we have. I put it in one account and I wrote him a check. (laughs) That's funny. Y'all can laugh at that. She wrote him a check. You cannot take it with you. There are so many wonderful secular things to support. There are wonderful nonprofits to support. As Christian people, part of what we do is we support our church. Because our church needs to be a symbol of growth, and sustainability. One of the beautiful things about being the pastor, any pastor here on campus, is to hear the stories about what's happened in this chapel. People have walked through these doors and they'll say, you know what? I got married right here. People say, I baptized my child right here. People have said, I had my husband's funeral right here. I've had my father's memorial service right here. 
I had a woman at the 830 communion service this morning. She said, do you know I have been worshiping right here since I was three years old? And she said, my husband, he hung the chandelier right there. There is history here. This is a sacred place. If you have ever been here on any day of the week, any time of day, you walk in and you feel a presence in this chapel. During the pandemic, when no one else was here, Arturo and Tyler and I were here every single week. And when we walked in, it was palpable, God's presence. It is here and it is felt. And it's because we add to worship within these wooden walls every week. This chapel is a hundred years old. Let me read to you something. In 1921, a gift of land at 814 Mimosa Boulevard from Mrs. V.L. Williams and Miss Sally Kimball launched a building program for a brand new church. Two years later, a new parsonage was completed next door to the church. The church's 1921 cornerstone can be seen today in the downstairs hallway of Building B across from the print room. The new building served the congregation well, but growth was by no means over for Roswell Methodist. By the 1930s, more space already was needed for Sunday school classrooms. And around 1940, a funds drive for a Sunday school annex was successful. But World War II and the shortage of materials caused several years' delay in constructing the building. And so in the meantime, the church became involved in ministering to servicemen and their families. It wasn't until 1949 that the Sunday school annex was completed and rooms were added in the remodeled church basement. And church enrollment at that time was 381. Because someone a hundred years ago gave, we have been able to do more. And so I invite you to do the same. What we do today matters. It matters to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. The theme of our stewardship drive these last six weeks, four to six weeks, has been get in the game more than a fan. And what I take that to mean is that we are all called to feel a sense of belonging. And no, we may not have a cheer. We may not have a rally cry. We may not have a war song together. But we have liturgy and we have worship. And that should create unity, especially in such a time as this. And so at the end of our song, or at the last song we sing, I want to invite you to be a part of the building, to be a part of our story, and to be a part of the next generation. We have ways to give. You can do so. You can make a one-time gift. You can make a pledge for a year. You can do it using your phone. But we also have old school pieces of paper, and you can do it that way. But what I'd also like to offer is this beautiful church building that your worship team has created with our building blocks. During the last song, we want you to come up 
And we want you to take a piece of this church as a symbol of our chapel in your home. So we want you, the last song, to come up, take a piece so that you can have it wherever you may go, and remember how holy and sacred worship can be in this place. Let's pray together. Gracious and holy Lord, you are the God of our ancestors. You are the one that helps us tell the story over and over again. And so help us now to attune our hearts so that we may hear you. May we remember the many things that you have done for us. May we look back in our past and see all the ways that you have been moving among us. May we see all of the different events and circumstances happening in a way that helps us appreciate the moment we're in now. And may you continue to use us and propel us forward to do more on your behalf. And Lord, as we make decisions today and throughout the week, may we do so with you on the forefront of our minds. Make us to check with you first. Is this where we need to be investing? Is this what we need to be doing? And Lord, are these the conversations we need to be having? Help us check in with you before we react too quickly. Because there are so many ways that we want to project ourselves in the world. Help us to project more of you. And Lord, we are so worried about our day-to-day -day operations at times that we forget that there's so many others in need around us. And so may we not be blind to the person who is seeking advice or seeking a friend or seeking someone just to check on them. Be with all people who are suffering from many different things, from mental health to physical health to just emotional exhaustion. Be with new parents, be with grandparents, and be with people who want to be a parent. Be in all situations, Lord, and put us in the right place so that we can help be a connector to you. And Lord, with our time, help us to build others up so they can share their story just as loudly. May we share meals, may we share prayers, and may we share smiles so people can see you more. And we indeed ask for many prayers for those who are in the military and who are separated from family and be with people all over the world who are separated from family for lots of reasons. And Lord, open up a floodgate of nourishment, open up a floodgate of funding, open up a floodgate of good, healthy leadership so that people do not have to worry about basic rights of water and shelter and home. Be in all places and be with your church so that wherever there is fighting, that healthy and strong relationships will overcome and show the power of your grace and your forgiveness 
in your unconditional love because, Lord, that is the story that we want to be a part of. So may we be a symbol of that. We pray all of these things in the name of your Son. Amen.